0: Well, two weeks ago, we started our series on the book of Ruth, very short book, one of the greatest short stories ever written, and it started out with Naomi and Elimelech, her husband. The first chapter is very, very dark in many ways. There was a famine in Judah. The, the Elimelech and his family they moved to Moab. Elimelech, the husband, dies, and then Naomi's two sons die. And then Naomi had a hard and humble move back to her hometown in Bethlehem. And she said when she got back, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore, just call me bitter. But she moved back with her daughter-in-law that loved her, but it was another mouth to feed now. And Naomi was having a hard enough time taking care of herself, but now she has this daughter-in-law with her. And on top of that, Ruth, her daughter-in-law, is a foreigner. Naomi and her husband, they seemed like they were going to try to, to to win the rat race of life. Things were not going well in Judah. Things they weren't able to provide for their family. They thought, well, we could beat this, and we would move over to Moab, take care of ourselves. But Naomi would say, as she tried to do that, she felt like the, the just the rat race of life, the rat trap, caught her. And Lily Tomlin used to say, the problem with winning at the rat race is you're still a rat. And many of us, you may find yourself in that situation this morning. Now, if you find at times in your life, and maybe more times than you want to admit, that you will feel more like Naomi and the first chapter of Ruth, it's okay. You need to know that it's okay, because we often forget that we are in some pretty good company scripturally. When, when we look at our lives, when we look at the lives of people in scripture, they didn't walk around life. Like everything was fine and dandy. They went through some very deep, deep, dark difficulties. And they didn't hide those things. The scriptures don't hide those things. We often try to hide those things. We often try to present ourselves on a Sunday morning like we all have it together, where the reality is probably a good chunk of you maybe feel like life is like Naomi and Ruth chapter 1, where it's just been hard. And it's okay, the Bible would say. To admit that and to feel that way. Because Naomi, she knew that there was a God. And you may know that there's a God. Naomi knew that God ruled and reigned over everything. Even in the midst of her darkness, she said that. And you may know that. Naomi knew that God really did care for her, even though she didn't feel his care right now. And you may feel that way. But the thing that Naomi forgot... And maybe you have forgotten is that God works all things out for His, for your good and his glory. And we see in this account in Ruth, in Ruth chapter 2, how God deals with an ordinary family and the ordinary difficulties of real life. And we may feel, and you may feel like Naomi in Ruth chapter 1. But the good news is we don't have to stay in Ruth chapter 1. So this morning, we're going to see Ruth chapter 2 and look at where is grace found in our lives. Where is grace found for us in our lives? Because in Ruth chapter 2, the rays of hope start to open up for this lady. Start to open up for this family where everything else at the end looked very bleak. Here at the beginning, it looks like things might possibly turn around. If this is the first time you've ever read the story, this is how you would feel. Ruth chapter 2... We're gonna look at verse twenty two of chapter one it says this now so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter in law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Come from in our own lives. Where was Naomi going to see grace in her life? And right at the beginning, when the author is writing this, he takes a little break and he shows us something that the rest of the characters don't see yet, that they don't know. And verse 1 says, Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. In the first seven verses of this passage, we are introduced to Boaz and we finally get a little bit more information about who Ruth is. It says there's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. This is good news, even though Naomi doesn't know this right now, because at the end of chapter 1, it seemed like there was no hope for this lady. All her hope of having a family is gone. She's not going to have kids anymore. But all of a sudden, they says, wait a second. There might be something from this man, Boaz. Coming out of it. Who was Boaz? He was a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, which means he was a wealthy individual. So he was a wealthy, influential man of standing in the community. He was well known. He he was had a good reputation. He had good character. And it says he was a relative, which also some translations said he was a friend of Elimelech. So he wasn't just uh, this distant relative. He had known Elimelech growing up. They had known each other. He was a friend of Naomi's dead husband. And so he had known about these things. He was a friend and a relative of Elimelech, but he was also a sinner. He was also a sinner, but he followed God. The reason we know he was a sinner is because he went through the same famine that the rest of the famine. He stayed in Bethlehem when God was judging Israel, where they had famine in the land, the time of judges, when everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. But it seems that Boaz stayed, or um, Boaz stayed in Bethlehem, where Elimelech he left and he just went to Moab. But Boaz he had endured the same famine that everybody else did. He had to suffer the same way that everybody else did because Elimelech left and died. Boaz stayed, suffered. He was a sinner, but he was a sinner who was absolutely God-saturated in his life. It says in verse 4, when Boaz came out, he was out in the fields, he's doing his job, he owned a lot of land, he was uh, traveling around, he came into one of his fields, and this is what he says, that the first words that scripture says about somebody are always key to help show us something about him. It says in verse four, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. I mean, this was a man who was saturated God. In a time when all kinds of people were doing what they wanted to do in their own eyes, trying to figure out things their own way, Boaz had stayed faithful to Yahweh, so much so that it just came out of him. It was who he was. Not when he was just at the temple, but when he was out on his fields at work. The first thing he says to his workers is, God be with you. And they responded back to him, and God be with you. Listen, all of life, is spiritual if you want to know how deeply god has saturated your life don't don't look at yourself this morning don't view yourself on sunday and say i'm really a spiritual person the way you'll really know if you are spiritual or i would know or somebody else would know if you're spiritual is how you are tomorrow when you go to school or when you go to work if we followed you around at work tomorrow what would people say about you at work how have you portrayed yourself at work would you saying something like hey the lord be with you or this was god's will or god did this or would people at work look at you and say what and you're like hey i go to I, i've been a christian all my life i've been for years would, would they even know that the way you know if someone's spiritual or the day that you are walking with god is not how you are on sunday It's how you are the rest of the week. I worked with a lot of guys. I I grew up in church. I was in church since I was a baby. So I I was in church all my life. And as I got older, in the high school, junior high, people started to hire me. Church men would start hiring me. And and they would uh, employ me for a day or two, for a couple weeks, or, or for a summer job. And growing up in church, I would see these guys on Sunday and how they led things in church or how they taught sunday school classes and these are some of the guys that i looked up to and then when they would hire me i thought this is great i get to work with these guys this is excellent and then i would start working with some of them and i thought whoa who 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 are you because the guy that you are throughout this week is not the guy that I'd seen every day for years on Sunday. And I had been no more, I've, I've been more disappointed as a high schooler with guys that would hire me to work from church who I thought were Christians and active Christians. And I'd start working with them and I'd hear how they would talk to other people and I would see how they would do their business. And I thought, that's not right. And the image that they portrayed on Sunday was not the way they portrayed it on Monday through Saturday, all of life is spiritual. And if you are ever in the means to hire somebody from our church who's a young person, if you're not walking with God, don't waste your time. Don't waste their time. Don't disappoint them that way. Boaz wasn't that kind of guy. He was absolutely a man full of character. He lived it every single day. And the way you know that is because when he said to his employees Hey, the Lord be with you. They responded back to him, and the Lord bless you. I worked with a guy one year in in Minnesota who was owned a company. His dad had started it. He was had taken it over as the son, and the dad was a solid Christian. He would always give a Bible out for the Christmas a bonus and a large check to everybody. That's just what he did. And so people loved him, and for years they loved him. Well, then this, his son took over the business, and things were uh, the late 90s, and money was flowing. But the son wanted the money to flow only to himself. And one year at Christmas, we're up in the break room. It's about Christmas time. Everybody's all excited about no expecting their bonuses. And he comes in, and he hands out to the guys all these brand-new Bibles and left. And said, I'm sorry guys, there's no, 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 no bonus checks this year. But here's a Bible. That was devastating. You've never seen so low morale in a break room in all your life as those guys that went through that. Didn't help that the next day he brought in, when, when the Ford Expeditions came in, he was the first guy in Minneapolis to get a Ford Expedition. Drove it into the shop so it wouldn't get snowed on. So the guys for the next day had to watch it all day long. That's not a God-saturated man. He was very active in his church. Boaz was not that way. We have a lot of business owners and business guys in our church. Don't be that way. Boaz was a man who was saturated with God. All of life he saw as spiritual. He lived it, and his employees responded to it because they knew it was true with Boaz. Character counts, and Boaz was a man had it, successful, yet had great character. And then Ruth, she comes up in verse 2 and it says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. Ruth was an outsider. She was a nobody in this society. She would be looked down upon In this society, she comes back with Naomi and it's Ruth herself who says, Hey, I'm going to go out and I will glean. I will do the work. Let me, let me go out. Can I, and she asked permission to go out and do some work to take care of herself and take care of Naomi. She had unbelievable humility and unbelievable care. So that so much so when she asked, Naomi said, go out, my daughter. And why didn't Naomi go out to work? We don't know. Maybe she was just so overwhelmed yet by the bitterness in her life, she just couldn't operate. She couldn't function well. I, I, she just burnt out. There have been people who have been burnt out, missionaries who I've known have been burnt out. They came back home, and they told me, Paul, I couldn't even do basic. One day I'd be fine, and the next day I couldn't even make a basic decision because they were so burnt up. And I think that's where Naomi was. She was so hurt by the hard providences in her life that she couldn't even function, but her daughter-in-law, the foreigner, humbly says, Mom, can I go out and get us something? And I think Naomi, when she said to her, Go, my daughter, I don't think she said it like, Yes, it's about time you decide to do something around here. I think she said it, Yes, go, my daughter. I wish it didn't have to be this way. I wish it wasn't you that had to go out. And work, but Naomi, but Ruth was willing to do it, and she was an unbelievable hard worker. It says she was gleaning in the fields. There was a law that the Israelites were supposed to let people come in and take, and, and they were supposed to take care of foreigners, leave some stuff, let let them glean in the fields. But gleaning in the fields was unbelievably hard work. The reapers would come by, they would, they'd tie up all the stalks, and then the reapers would come and they would cut it. But nobody wanted to waste anything, so they're very particular how they cut it. And so very few things fell on the ground. And then Ruth came around picking up the barley seeds that were left, which were very few. What Ruth is saying is, Mom, I'm a foreigner. We don't have anything to eat. We're hungry. What are we going to do let me go out and glean. What Ruth was asking and gleaning was saying, I'm going to go try to eke out an existence, Mom. That, that in our society, would be like saying someone saying, Mom, I'm going to go out and eke out an existence. I'm going to go collect and recycle aluminum cans. And that's how we're going to live. I'm going to do everything I can. That, that's about the equivalent of how much she would be earning. Unbelievable hard work to try to eke out an existence, collecting aluminum cans. But that's what Ruth was willing to do. She had unbelievable humility, unbelievable care, unbelievable hard worker. And these were all graces to Naomi. Now, Naomi may not have been able to notice them yet, but they were graces in her life because it says this in verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field Belonging to Boaz, just happened to happen by, and the the field that she ends up in is Boaz, who the author just told us was related to Naomi, and that so there's something about this guy. It's the the author is being he's like saying, listen, it's just like you know, I'm telling a great story, and wouldn't you know it, she ends up in the field where her relative was. She ends up in in. Boaz's field it just so happened no it didn't just so happen that's the point we're supposed to look at that and say things don't just happen like that they don't just happen like that it was just God's providential plan for Ruth to walk out there and end up supposedly by chance in Boaz's field I mean she was going to plan to eke out an existence but God had a different plan Proverbs sixty nine says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God is in this whole story. The author wants us to know that God is in this. He's guiding every little aspect of Ruth and Naomi's and Boaz's life. He's, God's showing Naomi that he's very good. He's very gracious. He's put great character people around her. He's comforted her. And Naomi's been begging God for some change. Tim Keller says this, and maybe you've been begging God for some change in your providence. If just things would be different. If I could just get a change, if I could just catch a break here. God, why aren't you letting me get through this? How come I don't get this promotion? How come I'm not in this job? Just give me a break somewhere, God. Tim Keller says, God will either give us what we ask Or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. There's some good stuff coming from Naomi. And there may be some good stuff coming for you. And if you got what you asked for and your plan, that's not what God's will for you is. So we're supposed to hold our plans lightly. Because the Lord has, and said, if it's his will, we should get those things what we need to do with our plans, what we need to do with the providence of God. When things are difficult and things are hard, what you need to do is press into God, even if it means going back and repenting and releasing you trying to control it and recognizing, hey, that the mess that you're in, maybe you caused some of it. And maybe you keep trying to plow through it apart from going back and repenting and recognizing it is not God's plan for your life. Maybe you need to say, you know what, I need to go back, and whatever it's going to cost me, I'm going to go back and repent of it. I'm going to go back and say, that no, I've done it wrong. And as much as it's going to hurt and cost me a lot, I'm going to go back and repent and do it right. Instead of just trying to keep plowing, wondering, why is God not blessing the mess that I've created? We don't know what God's plan is. We know God is sovereignly control, in control, guiding everything. And if you have character people around you, that's a grace of God on your life if you know it or not. If you have people around you of character who are saying to you good, solid truth, you need to listen. You need to see that, that this is God's grace on me. What else did Boaz do? that demonstrated unbelievable amounts of grace, as he had created in his business an unbelievable culture of care. Verses 8 through 16 says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are re- reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And all through the rest of the chapter just shows Boaz unbelievably doing all these unbelievable, over-the-top things for her. There was this unbelievable culture of care that Boaz had created in his life life he was unbelievably cheerful i mean he walks in to see his people at work the, the first thing he says the lord be with you he blesses them and they bless him back and then he's unbelievably kind he demonstrated great kindness to to ruth this this hesed love he just overwhelmingly served her and he had an unbelievably culture of just moral clarity i mean he was the, the the first place where there's a sexual misconduct policy put into place in the bible where he said i'm not gonna let anybody touch them the world was a mess back then, just like it's a mess now. And there was just this culture of generosity that he had, that he overflowed. What kind of culture have you created in the influences of your life? With the areas of you have influence as a Christian? What kind of culture have you created? Is there a culture of cheerfulness? Or is there a culture of kindness? Is there a culture of moral clarity? Is there a culture of generosity? Boaz was a man who had been blessed greatly by God in the midst of a difficult time. There had been famine in Bethlehem, but yet he's still unbelievably wealthy when it's all said and done. And instead of keeping it all for himself, he said, I'm going to bless my community. I'm going to bless my city. I'm going to bless the people around me. And so when he saw this foreigner... This nobody out in the field, he took notice of her. And there is absolutely no romantic connection in Ruth chapter 2 at all. This is not an old guy who sung a young hot girl and says, hey, we're going to help her out. That's not how it's showed at all. This is a godly, Jesus-loving, if it was today, saturated man who saw a foreigner in need who was the worst of the worst, the lowliest of the lowliest. And he had created such a culture around him that when she came to talk to the supervisor, the supervisor said, yeah, you can work here. When when she needed more, he gave it to her generously. When there was a possibility that she could be attacked, he said, ain't going to happen on my watch. Knowing that he could get nothing back in return. That's the kind of culture we need to create here continually at Cornerstone. When people come in here from the food pantry or... They come in from anywhere. We are willing to say, hey, we can help you meet that need. We don't care who you are, where you're from, what your background is, where you stand politically on any issue. We are going to care for you because we love Jesus and we want to spread his blessing to the good of our city. That's the kind of man that Boaz was. He brought a culture to that. Listen, people today are not reading the Bible Someone said, where one man reads the Bible, a hundred read them. And as much as we should be searching the Scriptures and comparing the Scriptures, and people should be comparing the Scriptures, people aren't reading the Bible. Even some of you aren't reading the Bible. And we need to be comparing Scripture with Scripture. But people aren't doing that. They may not be doing that, but they are going to compare you to Scripture. And tomorrow work, they're going to compare you to Scripture. You say you're a Christian, they're watching you. And they 're looking at you, and they're waiting and they're trying to see is is God real? Is there any truth to who Jesus is they're not going to pick up a Bible, but they 're going to see your life and they're going to examine it and you need to have created hopefully this culture where they 're like, yeah, there's something different about them there's a culture around them what what area of your influence what's the culture? Some of you don't have as some of us don't have as big of an area of influence. As others, what culture have you brought to your area of influence? Your work, your family, your social media? I mean, if people look at your Facebook page and all they see is negativity and complaining about the government and problems after problems after problems, you know what you're creating? You're creating a culture that says God doesn't exist. God doesn't reign over things. He isn't in control. And I'm just as panicked as everybody else. What what kind of culture have you created in your own personal conversations? It's a culture of care that displays a desire for grace in people. Where is grace found? It's found for Ruth and for us in a commitment to be covered by God. The key verse of the whole chapter 2 is this. Ruth 2.12 says this, The Lord, Boaz, Ruth is overwhelmed by the kindness of Boaz. She wasn't expecting it, and she's overwhelmed by it. And she bows down in front of him, and she says the, and Boaz says to her, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth was a woman who had abandoned her family, left everything, made a complete conversion to following Yahweh, to following the God of the Bible. And it wasn't her work that earned God's blessing on her. It wasn't that she just decided, I'm gonna, if I try really hard and I do my part, then God's gonna do his part. That's not what Boaz says to her at all. She, he skips over her question about why you are so generous to me. He, he she doesn't say, hey, well, it's because you, you tried and then God tried. If you try real hard, God will try real hard. See? It's not what he says to her at all. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He's saying, listen, the reason you're being blessed, Ruth, is because you have committed yourself to be covered by God. You found refuge under God's ring- wings. God's doing this, Ruth. You, I'm not doing this. This is God's blessing on you. This is God's grace on you. Because you have said you needed help and you couldn't do it, on your own. You, you've turned away from what was secure and familiar, and you just turned to follow Yahweh. You found refuge under God's wings, and you're relying under those wings. You're trusting under those wings, and you're resting in those r- wings. Ruth was a woman who preferred God above all else. She gave up her home, she gave up her family, she gave up everything to go glean in the field because she decided she was going to follow Yahweh. And she repented, she let all those familiar things go so that she could receive and have unbelievable joy in God. Which is why we find our hope. Matthew 23, 37 says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to you, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Had the nation of Israel stayed under protection of God, he would have protected them, but they didn't. And by their disobedience, Jesus came to rescue them for their sin, so that we could be rescued, so that we could put ourselves under the wings of God. And it's not just sitting stable. It's like an eagle flying the wings of God, soaring over everything. And we are called to stay under his wings. Wherever he's going to lead you, wherever the eagle goes, the little eagles fly under it and stay under the protection. That's what God calls us to do. Wherever wherever God's leading you, wherever how hard it is, how easy it is, whatever situation, He, he also asks you is just trust me. Stay under my wings. Trust me. You may not understand what you're going through. You may not have any clue what you're facing, but just stay under the protection of my wings and I will get you through. That's what Ruth did. She said, I don't see much of a future, but I see a great God in Yahweh. And I'm going to follow him, which led her to hope. And Naomi was the one who saw this. At the end, when she, Ruth goes home, she hears about the big day that Ruth had. And the end of verse 20 says this. Ruth came home all excited about what's taking place. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi Saul, maybe there's some hope in this. Maybe God is still in control. Maybe things are going to turn around for me. Maybe there is some hope in my life. God is in this. Maybe this morning you are flattened by the providence of God in your life, and you're ready to walk away. Don't do that. Or maybe you are pushing so hard to get what you want that you're walking away from the grace of God in your life. Don't do that either. God says, both of them, just come under me. Trust me. Get under my wings. Let me bless you. I will God, guide you. I am in this. I'm in all of this. God is in this. God is doing something. God's doing something in your life. And Naomi starts to see that there's some hope turning. The rays of the dark clouds are changing. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. You fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds you so much dread are big with mercy, and they only starting to see that they shall break with blessings on your head. And they will do the same for you if you stay under the wings of God. Trust him, confess, repent, return and receive the joy. Grace comes into those who humbly come to God in faith in the midst of difficulty and humbly say, I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way.
1: The, the-, the- For all your goodness I will keep on singing